singing in the kitchen. You are listening to Redeemer Radio, a weekly conversation connecting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the questions and issues of everyday life. Hosted by the leaders of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Greetings, Redeemer family, and welcome back to Redeemer Radio. I am Pastor Ross, joined again by Dan and Sean, and we are continuing our reflections on the book The Christmas We Didn't Expect by David Mathis. But guys, I've got some more trivia for us this week if you're up for it. Yeah, bring it. Yeah, can't wait. Think can't you do, can do a little better this time. Week. Yeah. All right. What is the origin of Santa Claus? Well, I just watched the movie Christmas Chronicles two last night. So if that's true, which it's not, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it had to do with Saint Nicholas, right? In yep. Germany. No, now in uh, modern day in Asia Minor. Asia he Minor. Was in Asia Minor. Was it yeah. in the thirds in the three hundreds? Yes. Then Christmas Chronicles was a little more accurate than I thought. Yeah, I'm not sure I've about the elves. Uh, it's not really worth seeing, but I okay. watched it last night. Yeah. Okay. I'll have yeah. to ask you more about that after this. No, you really don't, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, our power just flickered on and off here. I'm hoping this is still recording. Uh, okay, Sean, any. You know, Doug, any? you guys got it. I, that's that's great. That's I was gonna say all of that. So I'm glad. Didn't you covered he care it for, for the poor, and that's how he was giving gifts. And yeah. yep. that's kind of where we got the idea to give gifts to people. Apparently, there's a lot of mystery about him. There's we don't really know what's legend and what's fact. Um, but yeah, Saint Nicholas, 300s, devout Christian. He was actually not just a very giving person, but also theologically mm-hmm. very devout. He was known to have fought in the Arian controversy, which mm. is when they were fighting over whether Jesus was God or not. Um, he's thought to have been at the Council of Nicaea to get into a little bit of doctrine there. But yes, nice. I didn't also well-known as a generous gift giver. He came from a wealthy family. Um, and then when his parents died and he inherited their wealth, he gave most of it away. Um, there's a couple stories there about that. Again, we don't know how much of this is fact versus fiction. But then a lot of countries started making him their patron saint and started f- celebrating his feast day on December 6th. Hmm. Um, and so that's where all the stories of St. Nicholas and his helper, and then he'd give gifts to the good boys and girls and you know do bad things to the bad boys and girls. But then when Protestantism grew, you know that was a very Catholic thing. When Protestantism grew in Europe, they started doing away with a lot of that. But... My people, the Dutch, are the ones who kept doing... Uh, of course, there's a connection. Yes, exactly. That's Now you see why I brought this question up. Uh, the Dutch kept it a lot, very live and well, and they brought it to America with them. And they, were, they settled in the New York area, which was a very central location. And then the, the word St. Nicholas eventually got combined into Sinterklaas in Netherlands. And then in America, Sinterklaas eventually became Santa Claus. And the word Santa Claus was first used in the poem "Twas the Night Before Christmas" in 1823. Interesting. Wow. There you go. Okay. I don't know where December 25 reindeer and North Pole come from. Maybe that's for another time. I'll have to do it. Maybe one of our listeners can email you and tell you you where it is. Yes, please do. All right. So, uh, you know, did a little better this time. Did a little better. All right, uh, we are going to dive into David Mathis's book. We've been continuing reading along with, he's, he's got a chapter for each day in December. 
So we are up to December 17 now. Dan, I uh, thought you could maybe kick us off with some of your takeaways from this week's reading. Sure. My two chapters, uh, December 11th and 12th, have similar themes to what I talked about last week because it's still on Matthew 2 and the Magi who were more astrologers, maybe sorcerers, definitely not kings. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe they were wise, depends in whom eyes you're speaking. But one of the things he draws out uh, is just, again, the interesting thing that these uncouth, unacceptable magi are coming to worship the king and where the pagan, so these pagan astrologers are bowing the knee to Jesus uh, in verses 10 and 11, but the religious elite really were kind of indifferent. Uh, and he was just challenging us to think about, really, are we are we thinking about... Um, just the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. Like the second chapter talks again about their exceeding great joy. And his challenge is this to us, because I think we in some ways are going to be more like the theologically astute Pharisees. It says their heart, heads are filled with verses, doctrines, and religious facts, but, um, but they didn't really worship the Messiah. And just saying in our own familiarity with church doctrine, um, are we really finding joy in Christ? Uh, he says, biblical training doesn't guarantee that our hearts incline towards worshiping the true king. In fact, religious language and le- learning can cloak in infatuation with the kingdom of self. Hmm. And then he, it's interesting at the end, he just says, you know, it really is a tragic thing if our, not, our theology doesn't lead us and fuel our worship. And he invites uh, people new to the Christian scene where some of what we do seems foreign and strange and odd, like to bear with us imperfect Christians uh, as we seek to worship our perfect Savior. And again, I thought that was interesting because, again, lots of times I think if we've been around the church long enough, things become very familiar to us that are very foreign to other yeah, people. that's so true. Whether it's the virgin birth or... Um, you know, the humanity of Jesus and his deity, the hypostatic union, which we talked about last week. Again, just to bring back that technological jargon, which means nothing if we don't worship that yeah, truth, right? Absolutely. Um, so th- those chapters, I think, kind of just emphasized again, just worshiping him with humility and trying to open him up to other people to come and worship and join us in this um, worship of the glory of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just think of the, that we're called to, you know, have the heart of a child to, you know, Jesus takes the little children and, the, you know, this is the kingdom belongs to these. And, and I think just coming back to Advent every year with that wonder of a child um, is a great reminder that we do get so familiar with these things. And I even was, as you're talking, just thinking about the, the exceeding joy the Magi had, mm-hmm. you know, they were looking at a, a baby, and, and of course we know so much more of the story, but it, to, for them to have come as far as they came to simply look at a baby and, and of course know much about him, uh, but to have that much excitement and joy, like it just, it has to stop us in our track. Like, you know, what is so significant about this baby in Mary's arms um, that brings them that much joy um, is, is is encouraging. 
yeah. um, about who Christ is and, and, and of course, knowing the rest of the story, just how much more encouraging. Yeah, even thinking about St. Nicholas, right? I mean, he if he was at that council trying to keep us within the guardrails of biblical truth, orthodoxy, it's kind of how I think of the councils. They're like guardrails to keep us from going to error, whether they deny Jesus' humanity or his divinity. I mean, we have more to contemplate. Like, we've thought more deeply and fully because we have more revelation and insight over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years that should fuel it, not make it more familiar and, and yeah. dead. We don't want a dead orthodoxy, right? I mean, we right. want deep theology that influences our heart, that influences how we live. Uh, yeah. So I think that was the encouragement to me from these chapters. Yeah. Just yeah. Put, kind of putting you guys on the spot, what are ways that you guard yourself from some of those dangers? Because like, I, mm. I feel myself struggling in the same ways, and I don't always know how to how to do battle against that other than... I mean, we've said this numerous times during this podcast, but for me, it's been slowing down and just really trying to like meditate upon. Now, it's not maybe not the right word, but spend time, yeah, deeply drinking from the Word, um, and 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 ask, even just asking God Himself to to cause me to worship mm-hmm. Him. Right? Yeah, um, that's been a that's been a helpful practice for me. What about what about you guys? Like, how do you guard against just just sort of having a cold intellectual knowledge of God that maybe doesn't lead to worship? Yeah, I, maybe not even just cold intellectual, but even fami- familiarity. Mm. You know, I think we risk, we have the greater risk that we're handling the things of God every day as a vocation. And so we can often feel like, you know, our job is to, you know, almost like we're an electrical bypass, if this makes sense. Like, there's here's the power source of God, and our goal is to get it to other people and we can have it bypass us if we aren't careful. In other words, I'm just teaching truth, but not drinking of the truth. I'm not hmm. communing with Christ. And so a, a lot of this comes down to, again, my own personal worship and my experience of corporate worship. Um, is it merely vocational or is it is it personal and corporate? You know what I'm saying? That I'm actually engaged in it mm-hmm. personally rather than it kind of bypass me. That I'm rather this conduit rather than a recipient. And so for me, some of that means my own personal worship with the Lord. Again, the time, I, I mean, I say this several times, but I love being able to sing at both services because the first service is kind of like warm-ups, you know? Hmm. I think about the words, I think about the tunes, but then the second service, I can think more deeply about certain phrases that have captured my heart or imagination while singing them that can be more powerful. And then sometimes just r- ruminating on that phrase and then listening to the congregation sing i mean that's one of the ways that i know it's hitting me and not just going through me Hmm. yeah no that's that's really helpful dan i I would really echo what dan said i think um that uh, it's a great question sean and i i want to give it more reflection but i think yeah my initial response would be it's a similar illustration that dan used to the i like that bypass illustration i've before use the illustration of a ditch ditch versus um, like a pipeline, a pipeline water goes right through it for a ditch to be able to carry water. It first needs to be saturated. Um, the water needs to saturate the ground. And then the, once the ground is saturated, then water starts running. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the, the, for me to be able to bring the gospel to other people most effectively um, when I'm saturated with, with the gospel, um, uh, that that helps that, and I think the same goes for 
you know, interacting with the truths of God and the truths of Christmas, um, I think the more my relationship with Jesus it, um, has been kindled, the more worshipful doctrine becomes uh, because it, it's more relational with God. I'm, I'm you know, it's almost becomes a, a, a <clears throat> A relational, spiritually relational event to, to learn and, and study more doctrine, um, and so I, I think that would be my initial reply as well. Didn't mean to put you guys on the spot. It was just yeah, uh, the occasion presented itself to really no, discuss this, and and yep. I don't know about people who are listening, but you know that can that can be a danger. And um, yeah, not, those were really helpful responses. Sean, what about you? Yeah, for, so um, for the book. Yeah, so I had chapters thirteen and fourteen uh, to read and just kind of think about, and it's this new section of the, you know, he has he has kind of bigger headings as we move through the month of December, and this is called the unexpected town, and we really get this peek into this a story about Jesus's life from Luke that I forget about. Um, I don't, you maybe I read it every December, but other than that, I don't really think about it that much. And yet the the ways that it relates to our life in 2020 is just is unbelievable. It's the story of where Jesus was with his family in Jerusalem, and they were leaving. They were leaving Jerusalem after celebrating the Passover, and he he remained in the temple while his parents left and went, and 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 he was missing for like three days, right? Like I think it was three days that he was they couldn't find him. Um, short story. I was, I got lost in TJ Maxx one time when I was a child. My, my, my mother, uh, we, we went our separate ways. I'm not going to lay the blame on anyone. It was probably my fault. Um, but we, I got lost for three, like not even like three to five minutes. Right. Um, and just the amount of terror that, that was present in my mom when I saw her again. Now, I had left TJ Maxx and went to the fresh market and I was oh, wow. lost. And so I was crying and whatever. So yeah. they gave me a cookie, which maybe that was a happy ending. Nice. <laughs> so you were a foodie from the um, beginning uh, already. Yes, that's yeah. right. I was okay. a sucker for a chocolate chip cookie. Yeah. All right. Um, but anyway, I just remember seeing the terror on my mom, on my mom's yeah. face when she showed back up and, um, and we were reunited. I can't even, I can't imagine what, right. um, Mary and Joseph would have been feeling as Jesus remains behind in the temple. Um, yeah. sort of like, you know, talking about God's word and asking questions and being curious. Um, but this, this passage and, and Mathis points this out that, um, we see this tension between earthly submission to like for Jesus, between Jesus and his parents and then heavenly submission that he was in his father's house. And he counted that as more of a, like a, a a more pressing place for him to be at that point. Right. He needed to be in his father's house talking about his father's words asking questions, uh, even sharing his own thoughts as a, as a young child, right? He's sharing his thoughts and everybody was amazed, but we yeah. start to see this, or we see this moment of tension. Um, who was he, you know, we might scold Jesus, the child and say, you should have been with your parents. And yet we see this, 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 uh, just this moment where he is not doing that. He is not obeying his earthly parents by being with them, but he's, he's, he's responding to maybe a heavenly authority and submission in the, in this moment. And I think it's, I think it's fascinating because like in 2020, I mean, we've had plenty of opportunities to wrestle with some of these things between the election, uh, between the pandemic and what rules and regulations and how we submit to our governing authorities here. Yeah. Um, what, what is the difference between heavenly submission and earthly submission? When is it, um, when do those things diverge and, um, and how do we do that? Well, um, I don't have great answers for, for you because this is just a kind of a short form podcast and it would this would be a whole season unto itself right yeah um, but I, I'm just aware that it's um, 
that it's that it's a pressing it's a pressing issue for us right now. Uh, what I love though is that that Mathis points out that Jesus he he submits fully on earth. He does it perfectly. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't ever sin. He he's never out of step with what he should be doing. And yet we see his life as a life of actual submission on mm-hmm. on an earthly level. Uh, we know the story doesn't end with his death, right? Like God has a different end to that story. Um, but Jesus, you know, submits in the way that he intends to lead, which is through humility. Um, and so Mathis just points out that, you know, even though um, even though Jesus submits perfectly, he, you know, this, this is actually important to the way that he's going to be a king for his people. Mm. He is subject to the very people that are going to be subject to him. Um, it's yeah. just this, this amazing and otherworldly picture of humility that we don't, we don't really experience here on this earth, um, and, and have very few moments of acting like that. Right. Like, yeah. Right. So I'm just, I'm kind of amazed at, at even Jesus, the child, we don't know a ton about his, uh, the first 30 years of his life, but this is just a really cool picture into um, just how he interacts with uh, some of this uh, this idea of submission and, and, and heavenly submission versus earthly submission. It's a fascinating picture. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like the line in one of your chapters, the God-man leads us as one who knows what it's like to follow. Mm. He learned to first obey his parents before others were called to obey him. Mm. And then just the idea of being submissive to rulers and authorities it is challenging, right? I, I I was thinking about this, like who who are we submissive to today? As we become adults, like who are we submissive to uh, in our personal relationships? What what's it mean to be submissive to the government? What's it mean to ecclesiastical church uh, vows that we make? And then um, yeah, where do we? I, I like John Cox's um, illustration, a, a therapist and counselor that we've had here a couple times he talks about this idea about bending the knee have we learned to bend the knee and to uh to authorities in our lives you know and actually to be frank i mean one place where i'm thankful for um the parity of elders is in presbyterianism like i'm not the decision maker of the church yeah i don't have that authority i i don't say hey you guys got to do what i say like we we bend the knee to each other and come together to, to hopefully lead by the word of God, the people of God. And, and it makes me think too of Ephesians five, what's it mean to be submit to one another? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. I mean, there's a lot of questions here. And I think just the question is who, who besides yourself and your own will, are you submitting to willingly? Yeah. Not just cause you agree with the people. Um, that's challenging for me. Yeah. I think, this idea is really helpful and encouraging. I, I think it takes the ivory tower out of Jesus's kingship of our lives, which I think is an important part of the way we relate to Jesus as a brother, as someone who loves us deeply, but also as our king um, who has authority over our lives. And, and when we see that he's one who you know, is not in the ivory tower and, and uh, aloof to the cares and, and the struggles of our life, um, it just builds our trust in his leadership and his kingship um, and uh, just our relationship with him. Yeah. And parents, I am absolutely for you. I'm I, I, I my, my whole job is to try and come alongside you in the spiritual nurture of your child. Um, but in Mathis's chapter, he says that Jesus's submission to his parents did have limits. Um, and so our ultimate allegiance belongs to God. And um, and, mm. and I think we will submit better uh, to to our earthly 
authorities and people we're we are called to submit to as we submit to God yeah. first. Um, mm-hmm. I think That's that great. I think those two things will go hand in hand, but one has to come first. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's implications as a parent too, right? That we want to be the authorities, model God's authority and love and care and nurture, um, which again has some interesting implications, right? Are we authorities that can be trusted? Are we patient? Are we clear? Are we firm? Are we gentle? Like, I mean, there's a whole, there is a whole lot in these couple chapters that are really profound to think about. Yeah. Um, and then kind of moving on, building on that, um, the next chapter is titled God grew up in a forgotten town. And so it's this whole idea of Jesus of Nazareth. And you read that in scripture and it's sort of this title that's given to him. And without knowing much about Nazareth, you might think that that sounds really regal, really royal. This is this is a big deal where he's from, when in fact that could not be further from the truth. Nazareth was just this little forgotten town. Um, there, are so, there are certain parts of Scripture that really do make me chuckle, and one of those lines is from John 1 where it says, um, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. Um, right? Like, <laughs> what a funny line. Like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I think Jesus having this title— and being from this kind of nowhere town, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna burn any bridges with any of our our neighboring places. But you know, Jesus was not born in in the equivalent of of L.A. or New York City. Um, he was born in Bethlehem, which was uh, which was better a bigger deal than Nazareth. But he didn't live in Bethlehem. Right. He lived in Nazareth, which yeah. was sort of this outcast town that's forgotten about. I don't think it's mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, there's not a reference to Nazareth. No. And so can anything good come out of Nazareth? I think the answer is yes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Jesus came out of Nazareth. It's it's just funny how God can can often work where we just expect him not to, right? Yeah. Uh, where people expect him not to. I know that's kind of an elementary phrase, and we've been repeating, God is at work. God is at work throughout all of 2020. But look, this is proof. Yeah. He's working in the outskirts. He's working in the um, in, in the places we are uh, we just we just almost assume he can't work, um, yeah. and and that that's true about us personally in the corners of our heart where we need to be softened. He's going to work on those areas uh, in our relationships with one another as we uh, navigate the pandemic and the election. He's working on those areas as well. He's working in places that seem uh, just unreachable, yeah. um, and I think that's incredible. Yeah, I, I like the part just as he developed the idea, you know, in Luke two fifty two, and Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. And how we know so little of the f- first 30 years of his life. Yeah. Almost nothing. Yeah. And yet, there, there needs to be some reason. We don't fully know, but I think it does speak to the ordinary and mundane pattern of God, of, of ordinary life, God using that to mature us. And we so often don't want the ordinary and mundane. You know, we yeah. want splashes. We want big things. We want often excitement and big events and here for 30 years this man grew and labored and worked in relative anonymity until he came onto the scene for the public life of his ministry i'm just wondering what that means for us as we think about incarnation and ministry and seeing people grow and living in the ordinary and the mundane i think again that that challenges kind of our cultural view of life and everybody having to have a platform immediately and what that means and the influence. And again, this isn't against, I'm not trying to speak particularly against um, technologies, but just what does it mean to live an incarnated life and an ordinary mundane life? Yeah. It it challenges me to be, you know, 
less connected digitally and more connected incarnationally, relationally to, with the people that are immediately around around me in my within my reach, who I can drive to see, who I can uh, meet with uh, over coffee, who I can talk to on the phone. Um, it challenges me to love my family well when I'm at home and to put my phone down and, um, you know, it, you know, 30 years of obscurity, right? Like Jesus, yeah. nothing started. And I'm not going to steal your thunder, Ross. I know you were, you're going you're gonna to pick this idea up and develop it. But um, th- this idea that we didn't really know much about this. He didn't come as a 30-year-old jacked dude, yeah. God of thunder, right? Um, right? Like he didn't come in, in the ways that we expected. He was, um, I think Brad used to say that he was cosmically ugly, right? Like that was hmm. sort of a term he used out of a description from one of the one of the prophets, right? Um, that he was not, not going to be anything any anything fun to look at right Right. and yet his um his impact on the world is is um supernatural and right um heroic Um, yeah so yeah that's great that that definitely was one of the takeaways i was going to draw on i think all all that i would add to that is is the um kind of the slow incremental nature that is you know shown in just that it, he had this slow growth till he was in his public ministry. It just challenges my own impatience with my growth in, in, in my maturity in life. I, I can, I'm a shortcut guy when I, <laughs> when I'm working around the house trying to do, um, you know, handyman type stuff. I think my biggest barrier to getting better at that is I just want to take shortcuts. I don't want to, I don't want to do all the steps you need to take to do it well. And I do the same thing in my spiritual life is I just want to, go straight to, to point B. Uh, and I think it challenges me to uh, embrace that, that long obedience in the same direction that Eugene Peterson talks about. So yeah, that was, that was definitely one of my takeaways was just all that Mathis highlights about Jesus's growing up years. Another really helpful point um, in his chapters is he talks about the f- how formative Advent is for us. You know, every year we are a different person on December 26th than we were November 25. Uh, the, there is enough that happens in that month of Advent that shapes us and forms us. And he just talks about how we're either going to become more in love with Jesus or more in love with the world um, through that. And he He's drawing on kind of how Herod responds to Jesus and how um, the Magi respond to Jesus. But, yeah, he just talks about how the different habits that we have in the Christmas season. And um, are they pulling our hearts towards Christ and his kingdom or towards the gods of materialism, consumption, or self-absorption? And that was very challenging to me um, as I think about if I were to... (laughs) you know, do an audit of my, my advent, um, my advent liturgies, if you will, um, and just see how, you know, how much it's shaping me in whichever direction. You know, I was challenged, Dan, recently, as you were talking about one of the practices you've had in your home over the years of um, just having one of the Christmas presents every year be something about giving to a, a family in need. Um, and that's just an example of a way to, to have practices in your Christmas season that, that, that pull your heart towards Christ and his kingdom and, and his kingdom way of life and, and things like that. Um, and, I, and I feel like I have definitely have things and over the years that's grown, but um, it was just a helpful 
challenge because I know I'm very pulled towards the materialism side and, and, and very much invested in you know, what I might want to get mm-hmm. at Christmas, which there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but um, it was a helpful challenge. So, Yeah, I love, again, just how he, the, the fresh language, you know, we have got, we hear God's voice, you know, through his word. We have his ear, we can pray. Mm-hmm. Um, and it calls us to obedience and walk with him. But we also have the ability to gather as family. I thought it was interesting, some of you may have seen, there was a recent... Um, study on mental health and how mental health has declined significantly um, except in one group a group the religious people who are meeting weekly who are gathering together weekly their mental health has improved really neat yeah every other and even if you met i think it was maybe three two or three times your mental health declined but if you're meeting weekly it went up by several points again statistics who knows but they they aren't going to skew the statistics in favor of that, right. right? So I just thought that was interesting that this God-ordained practice for us, this habit for us, uh, can improve our health. And and I was thinking, too, again, in, in the context of Advent, and again, we don't, we aren't a liturgical church per se, and, uh, and yet there's something in this season to be thinking about the Christology, the deep Christology of Christ. And um, I liked... I liked the other ch- chapter on the 16th, just reminding us that Jesus himself is the joy that makes all the attendant joys of our salvation so great. So all the joys we experience, the lesser joys are because of our joy with him. Hmm. And that joy with him is to be manifested in giving God glory, right? So it goes back to the fundamental purpose of discipleship is to glorify God. And so often I think we still get it backwards. Like even as we talk about our sanctification, our maturing, it's really about us and our development and our kingdom uh, instead of us being developed for the inbreaking of God's kingdom and the glory of God. I mean, I know that I can often get into the how's God making me more like Jesus for my own benefit rather than how does my discipleship impact you and um, you guys and and my family and and how does it reflect the glory of God? So again, this book has been great to kind of point it pulls back. Now our joy is in Jesus, and we find joy and give God most glory by delighting in Him. Hmm. Um, so I think again, this book has just been helpful, thought provoking to to challenge me to think even more deeply about the glory of God and the the beauty of Christ in this season. Yeah, and to let it impact the way that you the habits of Christmas. Well, these are patterns that are that should be observed, like year round and Absolutely. not not from like yeah. a not yeah. from a checklisty kind of perspective but as you drink deeply of the joy the great joy the exceeding joy that is that is uh you know God uh sending Jesus and and entering the story breaking in and saving us rescuing us not for ourselves but for him um as we drink from that i hope that will like i'm already thinking about new year's resolutions or whatever right, right? you know new year's uh, things I, I resolve to to do differently. Well, I want to just keep drinking of this great joy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it's for it's for His glory and not my own. So so hopefully this can even impact the way we think about twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um. And and as we move into that season. Well, not to worry, Sean. You have you have given a perfect segue to what our next uh, podcast season will be, uh, where we're going to be talking about um, some of the spiritual disciplines that that uh, are the well worn paths to. Um, helping cultivate our relationship with Christ. So a little shameless plug there. More on that um, in the future, but uh, keep an ear, keep an ear out for that. 
I thought of one more thing, actually. Yes, I thought ahead. it was interesting. As I was reading this chapter, it made me think of an article somebody just sent me uh, th- last week about how an HOA uh, was telling a family they needed to take down a, a cross on their property that had a bow on it hmm. because that was didn't symbolize Christmas. And so they were saying that symbolizes Easter but not Christmas, and the holidays are very different. So um, pop quiz, how would you point people to the connection between Christmas and the cross. And it's one of these passages that jumped out for me. There's a couple others, but how would you, where would you? I mean, his name, I mean, I would go immediately to his name that he's given. The angel gives them the name Jesus, which means he will save them from their sins. Right. Yeah, Luke 2. That would be where I'd start at least. Yeah. Uh, I thought of Galatians 4. Four and five, too, and when time had fully come, he was born under the law to redeem them. Ah, and then go. from last week, I thought of uh, Heart the Herod Angels Sing, where it talks about he was born to die. Yeah. So, like, hey, here you go. Like, this is what Christmas is about. Yeah. Uh, he, the purpose he came was to die. Right. So that we might know and glorify the Father. Right. Yeah. So, again, I thought it was helpful how our reading here can equip us for things like that. that pop up that were a little surprising but it does make you think okay people may not really be able to make the connection right between the two christian holidays even some christians might not really be able to make Mm -hmm. draw a clear line and so we need to be ready to give a good defense of the gospel and be able to help people see it in the scriptures absolutely well this has indeed continued to be an encouraging book for us i hope you've enjoyed it as well Uh, We look forward to being with you again next time, friends and family on Redeemer Radio, and grace and peace to you all.